Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. It's here. Uh, and remind you what we said last night, that when, when you're born, um, you, we, all, we all have the same, we're born with no vision at all, no, no worldview no way of seeing anything, and we grow in it, and we're, we are given a worldview by our circumstance, those that we come into contact with, those that we are uh, trained by, whether it's parents or family, teachers and background, and so we start off with our lenses like that, and then they begin to scribble on them and give you a view of the world which may be a green view, or it, you know, it, it may be pink. Um, or it may be any number of different ways in which to see the world. And, and that's not your fault, and we're not responsible for the worldview we received as we were growing up. But once you get born again, Jesus gives you a pair of spectacles with which to see the world through his eyes. And the rest of our lives we will spend trying to figure out what it is that uh, Jesus wants us to live by as a set of principles and, and, and life-giving truths um, which come out of his word and are directed by his Holy Spirit. And it's a lifelong, a lifelong learning experience, and we don't change the way we see the world overnight. So that's what uh, we're looking at, and tonight uh, I want to carry on from where we were last night. Last night we were saying, uh, you need to understand your worldview, and so we looked at what is, what is it that's given you your worldview and how do you see the world? And we dealt with that last night. Uh, and tonight I want to deal with how, do, how to change, how do we change our worldview? Uh, and, and is it possible to do that? And I believe it really is. And it's our responsibility as Christians to do that. So question is, how do we break the web of lies that the enemy has sown in our lives? Because most of not most, but a lot. Not everything you've learned from your parents is, is not true. Uh, we, we learn both that which is true and that which is, which is not. Um, but there are a lot of lies that have been sown into that. And how do we change that? Well, it's pretty simple again. Um, as I said last night, it's, it's a simple concept. It's just extremely difficult to apply in your life. So we meet Jesus. That's the first thing. You've got to meet Jesus. You've got to get born again. When you're born again... Uh, then you have to become discipled in his ways. You have to do what he says. And that's the bottom line. So it's about meeting Jesus and then doing what he says. And that's the, that's the entire process. So we're going to look initially just quickly at meeting Jesus. And that comes through the proclamation of the gospel. As we know, <clears throat> most of us will understand the process of getting born again. So don't have to belabor the point. But John 3 verse 3 says this. Jesus replied when he was asked the question, and what do we do? He said, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting, you know, we read those scriptures over and over, but if you think about it, we, we will not even see it, this kingdom of God. I said to you, I think the entire, the entire Bible is about this kingdom from Genesis through to Revelation. I think it's about a kingdom and a king. And, um, and he, he says you won't even see it. It means you know, a lot more than, you know, it's, 
just looking at it, at, uh, at it lightly, he, he said, you won't even see the kingdom unless you're born again, which means you cannot understand it, you cannot fathom it outside of the being born again process. So, so that we need to understand. And our job as Christians, certainly, initially, is to get people born again and for them to understand that process. Because until you are born again, you cannot even see it. And then in John 3 verse 5, a little bit further on, Jesus replies, he said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. So you won't see it, neither will you enter it without being born of water and the Spirit. And I, as I look at that, I've often wondered, you know, is this, what does it mean, water and the Spirit? And I think, um, you know, we can, the commentators will make different comments about that. But, but I think you have to be born of water. In other words, you need to be born naturally. You need to be a human. And then you have to be born again by the Spirit of God so that we are uh, humans who have become born again people and are spiritually alive. He says, he carries on in verse 6, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So the human life comes from humans, but the spiritual life comes from the Holy Spirit. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. Those are the words of Jesus. And then we read in Ephesians chapter 2, something very interesting. He says this, he says, this is now Paul writing to the Ephesians, he says, once you were dead, and I want you just to, to read this with me in the context of a biblical worldview. Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins, you used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature, and we were under God's anger just like everyone else. That's what we were born into. And we said, once you get born again, you, know, you, you, you can complain about the worldview that you received. But once you're born again, you cannot stay the way you were. It then becomes our responsibility as believers to to take on a biblical worldview. And then it says in verse 4, So God in, is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so very much, <clears throat> excuse me, that, while, that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's special favor that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms, all because we are one with Christ Jesus. There's one statement in there which is absolutely life-changing for those who have come out of an animistic background. I think we explained last night, animism uh, is a, it's a belief system that believes that the world is animated with spirits and that we are subject to those spirits. So Buddha, um, Hinduism would be one of those with the, with the millions of gods that they have. Um, African uh, religion would also be the same thing. They, they believe uh, in the ancestors, that when someone dies, the ancestors then you know, have control over things and you need to sacrifice to them to make them happy so that they won't send curses and whatever, earthquakes and whatever else. And so everything is blamed on these, 
spirits. Now, the word here says that as Christians, he raised us from the dead along with Christ. We've been raised from the dead along with Christ, and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. So we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We are not under anything. <laughs> we are seated with Jesus. And that's a worldview which has massive consequences. And you need to understand that I think probably in the setting that we are here in the United States, it's, uh, it's something that you would not understand the extent of. Uh, but in, in countries which involves a lot of the third world nations, there is a belief system that holds them captive to these demon spirits and puts you subject to it. And that worldview will keep you constantly on your back foot. And I explained last night how in, in Kenya I stood on the banks of the river um, where this farmer had put his corn in and uh, it didn't rain. And so he just left it because there's no understanding that I can do anything about my circumstance. So I'm constantly, I'm at the behest of the, you know, the demon forces. They would call them gods. Um, and I am subject to that. And I, as a, you know, it's a fatalistic thing. And it's not, it's not biblical worldview. Because right at the beginning, and we'll look at that in much greater detail tomorrow evening. But right at the beginning, God said, take dominion over. So we have been given an authority. We've been given a dominion over. And when you've grown up with that as your worldview, which you would have, everyone in this room would have grown up with that understanding, you make a plan when a plan has to be made. But if you are subject to, in your mind, there's no, you can make no plan. There's, there's no, you, you, you just, you're a fatalist and so you're subject to. There, there are a lot of examples I can give you, but one of those which was just it comes to mind, um, back home in South Africa, people who have been subject to that thinking um, will, will always feel like there's another cause for the problem, okay? And the cause would be the ancestors. So it even impacts the way you speak. And so if, if they miss the bus, for example, they will, they, this is the way they would speak. They would say, the bus left me. So the, the, the blame, and the South Africans would all smile because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but the, the blame is put somewhere else because it's not that I was late. I'm not, I'm not responsible for anything. But you can understand it's a massive impact that it makes on your lifestyle if you can't do anything about anything. And so a lot of poverty and a lot of the things that, that happen that we as those who've grown up with a different worldview, as we look at it, we, we can say, That's, how is it possible to think like that? Well, because it's a total blind spot for them, and it's a different way of looking at it. So we understand that God said to us, take dominion over, and we as believers are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are not under the feet of the, of the gods. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, and we have an authority. So first thing then is, in how, how do we break the web of lies? The first thing is, we need to meet Jesus and get born again. The second thing is, we need to then do what he says. We have to be discipled uh, in, in his ways. We have to learn how to live in the ways of Christ. And as I said to you last night, it's not because he wants us, this is not about religion. It's not about, I've got to do this because there's a whole set of rules I need to follow. 
It's because God gave us these principles for our own good so that if we live by them, we'll live in the, in the blessing and the fullness of it. Because as we said, Jesus came to give us life in all its fullness. So what, what do we have to do? We, we have to change the way we think so that we are discipled in his ways and we are transformed, as we said last night, by the renewing of our minds. Your mind needs to be renewed. That's the, that's the bottom line. Eugene Peterson, who did the paraphrase of the scriptures in the message, which you probably all have known of and read, um, the message Bible was, trans- was paraphrased by him, but he made this statement. He said, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. And so for me, it's been a lifelong, you know, it's been a lifelong thing, trying to learn what does it mean to live a biblical lifestyle? What does it mean to see the world through the eyes of Scripture, through the eyes of Christ? What does it mean uh, to be a family man? What, how, how do I behave as a, as a father? How do I behave as a husband? What is, the, the, you know, what is that which, which Christ would have me do uh, in my work situation? How, how do I behave? What, is the, what, what are the principles behind whatever it is that we're dealing with? And we'll go into a lot more tomorrow evening. But in this discipleship process, we gradually, step by step, I believe, need to be changing our lives to live more and more in the fullness and the principles of what Jesus taught. And we will be the recipients of the blessing of doing that. And we'll look, as I said, tomorrow night at, at the golden thread that goes through Scripture speaking about um, what happens when we live according to biblical truths. So um, John 8 verse 32 in the Amplified says this. It says, so Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, this is the Amplified It's saying, so if you abide in my word, that is, if you hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples. And then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We read that last night, but it's just so so important for us to understand. It's not not good enough just to know the theory. You you have to to live it out. You've got to do it. It's got to be part of who you are. Matthew 28 verse 20 says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. All of them. Jesus said, teach them to obey all of the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So again, not a case of just getting born again. It's not not enough just to get born again. That's just the first step. The most difficult, and it's a lifelong process, is being discipled in the ways of Christ long term. Deuteronomy 12 verse 28 says, it says, be careful to obey all these regulations I'm giving you so that it may always go well with you and your children after you because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God. And so that's the promise. The promise is that things will go well with us. And I think that's what we need to understand. It's it's a case of, you know, I'm with you, if you do what I say, then things will go well with you and, uh, and, and it will be much, you'll be much better off. Romans 12 verse 2 in the, in the New Living Translation translates that scripture this way. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person 
by changing the way you think. And then there's some other great scriptures. One of those is 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, <clears throat> excuse me, in the NIV, which says this. It says, we demolish arguments. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now we said last night that if we do not take control of our thoughts, then we can never take control of our lives because as a man thinks, so is he. And the way he thinks is how he will behave and his moment-to-moment -moment decisions that he makes or she makes will be made on the basis of the, of the worldview. And if that doesn't change, but you see things through the eyes of what was you know, given to you through your upbringing and which, as I said last night, predominantly was given to us by Satan because it's the ways of this world. And the ways of this world will give you a worldview that you, you'll make decisions, your rapid decisions, and you know, others as well, obviously, but your moment-to-moment -moment thinking and behavior gets controlled by ultimately how you're thinking. And so that has to change. And, uh, and Paul says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. But then he says to the Corinthians, but demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He said last night, you are the only person who can take control of your thoughts. And we need, we need to understand that our thoughts can come only from three places, really. It's where, uh, it's where your own thinking comes from. In other words, there's a logical sequence of thinking through your mind. You can have those thoughts which are logical uh, and maybe triggered by something, whatever. Um, and then there are thoughts that Satan drops in our minds. And usually we're able to pick those up pretty quickly because he's the father of lies. <clears throat> so you can fairly quickly understand you know, what's, what's from him. But then there are those thoughts, <clears throat> sorry, just grab that water. Then there are those thoughts that, um, that, that come and come by the Holy Spirit, which are also dropped into our minds. I, I don't believe that Satan can read our minds, but I do think he can drop thoughts in our, you know, into our thinking. Um, and so our minds then that we have control of, you, you, only you can decide what goes on in your head at the end of the day, and what you will allow to go on in your head. Uh, and so we demolish arguments and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. All right, and then in, in, uh, in Peter's writings, 1 Peter 1 verse 13, Peter says pretty much the same thing. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope, your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So teaching new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you, Jesus said, that's, that's the process. That's the, that's the thing we have to do. That's what we have to learn. It's a, it's a lifelong thing, and that's what we have to help others to learn when they, when they come to know Jesus. Um, so it's not just about getting people saved, as I said. It's about making disciples, and ultimately and we will go into this tomorrow evening, ultimately it's about discipling the nations um, because that's what, what's going to make the difference. Matthew 28 verse 19 says that, make disciples of all nations. Now, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't even speak in that, 
in, the, in that section of scripture about being born again. He's already said that you need to be born again. But our, our job is to make disciples of all nations. And what are we going to teach them? Well, we'll talk about that tomorrow night, but it's, it is a critical thing that we as Christians have to understand because, and I agree with Lauren Cunningham, Lauren Cunningham from YWAM made this statement. He said, discipling the nations is the key to solving the world's problem. All, all of the problems, the world's problems are solved by discipling the nations. Why? Because the principles that are in Scripture are God's, they're God's ways for us. And if we live by them, uh, we will live in the blessing. There's one major statement I want to make now, which I hope you will carry with you forever. And that is this. If the church does not disciple the nations, the nations will disciple the church. Maybe I need to just expand it a little like this. The reality is this. If we as the church do not guide the government, the world, and give them you know, the moral guidance and the answers to what needs to be done, they will put answers on ourselves. And sadly, the church, large sections, sections of it anyway, have failed dismally in terms of the example that's been set for the world, in terms of what has been the behavior of many church leaders and, and Christians who have sadly severely damaged our image as the church in the eyes of the world. And so the world begins to disciple us. And they are now, certainly in many parts of the world, governments are putting into place the rules by which the church may operate instead of the other way around. And so you know that in countries like Canada, it's now extremely difficult to even speak truth out of God's word without being locked up. And that's happening more and more. Um, and, you know, the, we back home, we have a, a hate speech bill that's in process so that you may not be able, you, you, you will not be able to read a scripture that speaks of anything that might be thought to be hate speech because you could end up in prison as a result of that. Now, the world is beginning to disciple us into how we can behave. Something's gone wrong. And we as the church, we really seriously need to wake up. Uh, and, and sadly, we have not dealt well with those who have uh, portrayed to the world um, a gospel that is not from Jesus. And that's all I can, I, all I can say, because the gospel that they are preaching is not, is not, is not the truth out of the word. Um, and the lifestyle that people are living uh, is certainly not. And so, you know, there are leaders in churches that have made off with the money, they've made off with the you know, with the uh, with their with their PAs or secretaries or with the choir mistress or something. You know, I mean, the, the stories are there, there are far too many. It's absolutely tragic what's happened. I think part of the problem is that we have not been imbibing God's word and living by His word um, and teaching His word, and and so there are a whole lot of things that, as a result of that cause people to do things that they know they, you know, they, they pretty much know they shouldn't, but it's, it's, not a, it's not been inculcated into them, that truth that will keep them on the, on the straight and narrow. And it's not, because, it's not because God's wanting to pull our wings off or you know, 
harm us. He, he's given us these principles because of the promise that we, we will have a life of fullness and abundance. All right, well, just to move on quickly then, we need to understand also that just as everybody has a worldview and some have a, a, you know, a Christian worldview, there is within the Christian world, um, there, there are differences of opinion um, and different worldviews even within Christianity. And that's, that's, I guess you can blame that to some extent, but uh, there are huge differences within our Christian brethren across the world. Um, and most likely they will lean to one of the following things as we go through, but they will lean towards secularism because, as I said, the world's discipling us. And the, and the world in which we live here in the West is being discipled by a secular worldview. Okay, And then it, it may be animistic if you're in a country such as India or in Africa. It may be a biblical worldview. Um, as I said, it's... It's hard to get a pure biblical worldview, but Christians hold you know, widely differing views within it. So they, they would hold one of the following three, the secular evolutionary approach. Now that's typical of, uh, of current relief organizations and development agencies. What do I mean by that? They, they have been so influenced by the secular world. I remember going to a conference uh, in which a lot of these things were being discussed back, at, um, back in South Africa. And I got into discussion groups with folk out of a denomination, I won't mention it, but denominational people who I really thought loved Jesus. And they were totally pro-abortion. And, and I, I found that so hard to understand. And so that's one of those questions we have to say, what is a biblical worldview you know, concerning abortion? We, we need to have those answers. Can't just duck them and, you know, and sing happy songs on Sunday because this is the reality, isn't it, of, of, what, we, of what we face. So, um, and, and then you have, to, you have to talk about it. You have to discuss it. You have to, get your, you have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to answer, what is a biblical worldview? What is a biblical worldview of capital punishment? I, I don't have the answers to all of that, and I don't want to give you answers, but... There are things in Scripture which give us, you know, inklings of understanding. Uh, when when Jesus, when when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, and you know, went to visit Elizabeth, and um, and when the two met, then the, the the babe, you know, John the Baptist, who was in the womb of Elizabeth, leapt when the two of them met because the Spirit of Christ was already in in Mary. And so we have, to, we have to understand that there's something there that we as Christians can't ignore. So we need to thrash these things out and say, okay, so is, is it okay then? Because if, you know, probably if abortion had been available, Mary would have been, it would have been suggested to her that she have an abortion because where's your husband? Um, and, and so worldview, it, it molds and alters all of these things. And we need to thrash them out. And I, and I think we should not be quiet. I don't think we should, I don't think we should be quiet about the realities of, what, of what's right and what's wrong until we have searched the scriptures and argued and, and heard and come to an understanding of. And then, and then belie believing that because it's biblical, we then live out a life which would represent what Christ would have us 
live as, as a lifestyle. All right, so that's the secular evolutionary uh, approach. And, and you'll hear uh, people in this, in this group, and I had them over the years, you know, because I, we worked in the mission hospital, we did, worked with a lot of relief agencies and so on. Um, and, the, you know, there's, there's talk. Uh, one of them was, there are too many people, and I said to you last night, that's not true. But, uh, but there are too many people, and so maybe we need to put contraceptives in the water supply. You know, it's that kind of thinking. Where on earth would you get that thought from? Well, it's from your worldview. Because you believe there are too many people, how are you going to stop that? Well, you've got to allow abortions and you've got to allow... And, and then you can take it one step further. Um, and, and Granny's sucking too much, too much oxygen, we better just knock her off, you know, because euthanasia will solve the problem. I mean, and that's... So you wonder how a country like Switzerland can legalize euthanasia. It's, it's, on that, it's with that worldview, isn't it? We, we would, as Christians, think, you know, you can't knock somebody off. I mean, you can't just inject somebody because they're not doing so well at the end of life. We, we just, but you see, if your worldview is that there are too many people, you very, you, it's, it soon disciples you in another way of thinking. And you get to the stage where you say, well, it's fair enough. Um, so that's, that's what happens with the, with the secular evolutionary approach. All right, then there's liberation theology. That's a, it's a revolutionary, it's a secular, revolutionary, Marxist-influenced uh, way of thinking. We had a lot of that in South Africa. Coming out of apartheid, you could understand, people were very frustrated with what was going on, and so um, there, was, there was a whole understanding that uh, if the end demanded it, then revolution was okay as a Christian. You could, you could kill people and you could, you know, you could blow up, um, you could put bombs in, into supermarkets and do whatever you needed to do in order to get your message across, and that was okay. So, so there are, as we said, <laughs> there are consequences to your thinking, and that's one of the, there are Christians who hold that view. And then there's the animistic, cosmological, last days evangelicalism kind of thing where uh, let the world go to hell, we're getting out of here, we're going to be raptured and so, you know. Um, and, and there are believers who, you know, who, who would not look after the earth but just live and do whatever, waste the resources and despite the fact that God said, you know, look after it <laughs> because we're getting out of here and it doesn't matter, this is all going, you know, it's all going to be burnt up, so, so what? Um, and so there's that side as well. And then there is a group within the Christian worldview uh, grouping, uh, which is known as the theistic transformation group. And they, they believe, you know, the, theistic believing God, that God's desire and will for us is that we should be people who are transforming and will make a difference and will improve the world uh, as part of an advancing kingdom. All right, so... To disciple nations, then, you have to understand where they're at. And if you're working with other Christians, you better understand where they're at as well. Because, <laughs> as, as you can understand, there's, a, there's a, a vast difference. So you can go on a mission trip with somebody from another church, and the two of you could find yourselves <laughs> in different poles of, of certain things. Um, so to disciple nations, we have to understand the people's worldview, um, those of us who want to work effectively anyway with the poor and, and change the world, 
there are three distinct worldviews that you need to know. Number one, you need to know what your own worldview is. We talked about that last night. Uh, and then if you're going on mission trips and things, you need to know the worldview of those that you're working with. And even within the same church, if we went around this room tonight, you would find that and be very surprised that all of your Christian beliefs that you hold may well not be held by others in the room. And they may hold a, a, you know, something diametrically opposite to what you, you believe. Here's, here's, and it's not always that simple, but here's what we have to do. We have to search the scriptures and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to find the truth. And that, we, that it be a truth that we can live with and that, and that makes sense from scriptures and that we as the church can expound to the world and use to disciple others. So that's our own culture, our own worldview we need to know. Um, and then we need to know the culture of those that we're trying to disciple. Because if you go into India, for example, you would, you would come, come up against very different things to what you would experience if you went into the Middle East somewhere or uh, into North Africa. Uh, and, and every area will have its differences. And then what we really want to know and understand uh, is, is what is biblical theism? <laughs> what does God really mean? How, how does he really want us to live? All right, so, so in summary then, um, the battle's for the mind. And uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 in the message says it this way. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. The NIV puts it this way, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And once we've done that, then our minds become changed, we're transformed by the renewing of the mind and we begin to think like Christ and as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Ideas have consequences. The good news and the encouraging thing is that societies change one individual at a time. I think we often think, you know, you, you, have to, you have to sort things out from the top down. No, the kingdom of God is built from the bottom up. It's built from the inside out and the bottom up. And that is encouraging, and it's done one disciple at a time. So everybody in this room has an influence that can impact because societies change ultimately when from the bottom up, the entire society changes. And so the job of the church remains. It's always there. We, we, don't, have to, uh, we don't have to be in the, you know, be ruling from presidential level down. We, we need to be doing what we can do because when society changes, it changes here. Uh, and nations are discipled one disciple at a time. Um, and we all... Just bear that, this in mind as well. Have mixed worldviews. None of us has a perfect biblical worldview. I think as you get older, it becomes clearer and clearer. Um, not, not necessarily easier, but none of us gets it absolutely right. And in the next session, which we will uh, break for and, uh, and, and have in a few minutes' time, but in the next session, I want to, I want to deal with something that I, I really trust will open your eyes to Scripture in a way which uh, it helped me to do 
years ago and, and is a very exciting part of tonight's message anyway. So have, some, have a little break and uh, there's coffee and tea and uh, co- cookies and uh, we'll get back in about 10 minutes if that's okay. Good. Mm-hmm. 